0: John Peters is here, and um, I want to introduce John. John is an amazing, amazing gift to the garden, but also to Alex and I. My wife's name is Alex, Alex. and um, in 2007 I met John at St. Mary's Church, the church he leads in London, and um, he prayed for me, and the thing about John is this, he, he talks about the Holy Spirit in, in a way that just seems very ordinary and normal. Um, Things that were very strange and and very unordinary to me, very extraordinary um, at the time in 2007. John talked about his church being planted and people encountering God, being atheists and then coming to know Jesus and doing the things that Jesus did through the power of the Holy Spirit. People would uh, be converted um, in dramatic ways. They would be healed. There would be words of knowledge. There would be prophecy. There would be signs and wonders. Literally, that's how their church was built in London. And, and this is what he kind of uh, was brought into, into the church. Just with that understanding that that's what God does today. And for most of us, we, gr- growing up in Southern California, that is not our experience. For most of us. That's, at least that was my experience. That God, uh, the stuff of the New Testament was, was old. And it no longer happens like that today. That was my understanding in 2007 until I encountered the Holy Spirit. And John was a man that prayed for me, uh, very simple prayers. But from that moment on, uh, it changed the the course of my life. And it eventually led to me planning a church here in Long Beach called The Garden. And so I owe a lot to John. I owe, uh, I just, thank you. Where are you, John? Uh, You're you're over here. Okay. Um, John, I just want to thank you for coming, spending time. You've been a huge gift to us as a church. John just comes here as a friend um, to just kind of coach us and encourage us to keep going for it. Um, And ministry is about friendship. And so often in the church today, we miss it. We think it's about showing up on Sundays or doing Bible studies and and living our lives in the fast-paced way that we do it. But ministry is about relationship. Ministry is about friendships that last for a lifetime and doing the things that Jesus is doing here and now with people that we love. And so uh, if you don't have friends like that, this is a a perfect place for you. Um, But John's going to come. He's preaching a different sermon now. Is that correct? John, would you come up here? Everyone, would you welcome John Peters? All right, um, and I'm going to pray for him um, and pray for you as well. So if you close your eyes, I'd love to pray for you and invite God to minister to you now. Lord, we just invite you to minister to us, just to, to, to bless us with your presence. Speak to us through your word, through John. I just bless John. I thank you for the time he's given to us and the blessing he's been. I just ask your favor on this service in your name. Amen.
1: Thanks, Great to see you. Um, uh, another English person, sorry about that. Um, you know, this is, this is the last time that I'm going to speak in, over our time together. And uh, when we were at this stage last year, uh, Chris and I were going our separate ways after the service and Chris said to me, goodbye dad. And I said to him, goodbye God. So, that was a measure of our exhaustion, just so you know. So, who knows what's going to come out of my mouth this morning. Um, I'd like to talk about uh, the day of Pentecost, uh, and I'll read to you from the book of Acts. A very familiar passage, probably, but here we go. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them ability now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each amazed and astonished they asked are not all these who are speaking Galileans and how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language Parthians, Medes, Elamites residents of Mesopotamia, Judah uh, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene visitors from Rome both Jews and, and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, asking one another, what does this mean? Some sneered, saying, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Uh, Men of Judah and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my slaves, men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. So what I'm going to do this morning is try to get to the heart of um, what this means. Pentecost, in its context was a Jewish festival in which the people of Israel thanked God for the gift of the law and also for the first fruits of the harvest. But it's special to us in the church because it is the first time in which the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the disciples of Jesus. So, um, I'm just going to suggest, um, in 28 points, no, I'm just going to suggest three things that this is about, um, very simply. And the first is that Pentecost is about God coming as close as possible. It's the culmination of the great story of how God has come closer and closer and closer. And I'm just going to talk about that, but before I do that, just a couple of preliminary things I'd like to get off my mind. Um, First of all, this. Um, We affirm that God is the creator, don't we? And that means that God is separate from what he's made. And I want to explain how that is always the case. If I am, let's say, a magnificent um, musician, which I am. Now let's say I'm a musician and I create a piece of music. Is the totality of me contained in the music? No. It might say something about me, but... I and it are not the same thing. If I'm an author and I write a book, is everything about me contained in the book? If you read the book, you might know some things about me, but it's not all of me, is it? You see what I mean? That's why I'm a bit pessimistic about the chances of people searching for the God within themselves. Because, basically, God is separate from what he's made, including us, who he's made. So, I just wanted to say that, it makes me feel better. There's, an, there's another sense in which God is distinct from us. Um, There is a fallenness at the heart of things, isn't there? There's a distortion at the heart of us, where even the things that we find that we want to do, when we get our fingerprints on them, we appear to muddy the best things about us and our aspirations, and sometimes it's just downright dark and ugly, isn't it? I was saying in the first service, I'm quite glad that most of you don't know me. I mean, I have, I have done entire um, talks like this in which I have detailed the, te- the most terrible things about me so that nobody has any illusion about, about who it is they're looking at when God moves in power afterwards. So basically, I haven't got time for that now, but I'm just going to say, you, you, you're lucky that you don't see the way I always speak to my wife or my children or my dog. And also, um, you know, I do think I'm a quite addictive sort of personality. I mean, I think if there was something stimulating about chairs, I'd be addicted to them. Um, but basically, you know, I, I am in many ways a very unresolved person like the rest of us. I mean, much more so you, obviously, because I'm a church leader. But um, we all struggle, don't we, with this problem at the heart of things. Now, one thing about God is he doesn't have that problem. God is utterly other than, uh, from us in the sense that he is pure, he is righteous, he is um, full of light. There's no distortion in him. And so in that sense as well, God is separate from what he's made and unlike anything that we experience in this broken context. I just wanted to say that because the first thing to know about Pentecost is it's the culmination of the great story by which God comes as close as possible. And so the story begins with, um, after the tragedy of the fall, the story begins with one man, Abram, who's minding his own business worshipping the moon god in Haran named El or Il. And basically, an unknown God reveals himself to him and says, if you follow me, I will give you a land of your own and many descendants. And so Abraham, unlike his father, who it may be that God first revealed himself to, says yes, and sets off with all his baggage, you know, animals, wives, off into this land he's going to receive. But the thing is, Abraham doesn't really know much about God. Um, he certainly doesn't know his name. He calls him El. He continues to call him by the name of the Haran moon god. So he calls him El Blogs, El Jones, something very common. Um, And so basically, uh, you know, just a... A throwaway name that people couldn't quite have the imagination to come up with a better one. That kind of thing. So basically, um, let's call it God Jones. That's all he knows about him. But as he finds out things about God Jones, he gives him other descriptive little adjectives, epithets, like he's the God who sees. El Elam, he's the God who provides. El Shaddai. So he works out things about God. But generally speaking, he doesn't know a whole heck of a lot about him. That's Abraham. Then, um, then, the people of Israel are kind of a no people with no name making bricks from nothing, serving the Egyptians, they are the lowest slave class it's it's possible to be. And this no people, a leader is raised up for these no people called Moses, but wait for it, he's got a special disability, which is he doesn't like speaking and can't speak, but he's going to be their spokesperson, obviously. And basically so Moses comes along, starts leading these people, takes them somewhere, and the people work out that obviously there's some kind of connection between the stuttering, you know, useless kind of leader who's nevertheless leading them and some kind of God so they follow along, and they also find out things about this God, like for example, he can part the sea so they don't get massacred by the Egyptians that kind of thing, which turns out to be quite important he can lead them by a cloud or a pillar, etc, etc, but in many ways, you know, he remains above and beyond understanding, and the process goes on, finally Moses discovers his name but it turns out to be, I am who I am which doesn't tell you very much, really, so we're just going on with the general idea that we don't know very much about G.O.D. Now in, and in the Old Testament, he remains above and beyond understanding in many ways, you know. So You can't utter his name, because it's too holy. You can't make a statue of him, because that would be wrong. So basically, with the exception of one or two sort of intermediaries, who seem to have some kind of connection with God, and represent him to the people, he's generally above and beyond understanding. The creator of the world, yes, who's chosen the people of Israel for no apparent reason, and made them his own, despite all their rebellion, and their continuing rebellion. And that's about it, really. So that's like phase one of God's work, and then, phase two. God comes as near as breathing, as close as hands and feet, so that nobody need ever again guess at what God is like. Nobody need ever again search for, within themselves for a dim reflection of what God is like, because he makes himself, he discloses himself in a way that even we can see him. Imagine you wanted to communicate with a colony of ants you know, I'm sure you've never thought about doing that but if you want to communicate with a colony of ants probably the most effective way would be to become an ant and that's effective what what God has done he's clothed himself with flesh and blood in the person of his son so the God who is over here has come closer he's come closer now, those who know him, those who see him can see what God is like Jesus said, if you see me, you've seen the Father I and the Father are one so to see Jesus is to see the Father amazing But Pentecost is the culmination of this story, whereby God comes even closer. Now, the British have given many important um, cultural things to the world, and... um, and uh, you benefit from them, obviously, um, and uh, actually, I should say to you, today is, the, in, my, in my church denomination, the Church of England, today is the Festival of Pentecost, and so I'm actually speaking to you uh, about what I should be speaking about in my own church, which is virtually unprecedented in my history, but I thought I'd say it just for my own amusement. Anyway, the thing is, I baptise you into the Church of England. There you go. So another gift. is free. You know, it doesn't matter. Um, wow. It's fantastic. Welcome, Anglicans anyway so so basically, so basically um don't distract yourself because you'll lose what you were saying. I have lost what I was saying um, yeah, oh, okay don't put me off it'll reboot itself in a minute um, yes. Prize to the man over there. Okay, so British culture. Yes, so one of the things we've given to to you guys, which you haven't really received properly, is the knowledge that God has created buses with lots of seats for a reason. And the reason is so that we can all sit on separate seats and under no circumstances speak to each other whether you're having a good day, that kind of thing. Hey, how are you? All that kind of stuff. We don't do that. We live in a cold, emotionally cold, physically cold environment where we do not interact with people we do not know. Hey, how are you? I'm fine, back off. <laughs> it's the attitude of the English. So basically, so, so, you know, if I'm on a bus, I find somewhere away from other people and I sit there. And I do not expect this. I do not expect, when I'm on the top deck of the bus, on my own, I do not expect to hear a heaving... <laughs> shuffling, asthmatic, bag-rustling noise of some kind of obviously big woman bringing up all her shopping and then making it down to where I'm sitting and then sitting down right next to me so that all her shopping spills over onto me, taking up more than her fair share of personal space when there's all those other seats on the bus. Anyway, God's like that. That's what God's like. He comes nearer, and he invades our personal space. That's what he's like. Another thing the English know is that when we are in an elevator, once again, we do not speak to complete strangers. We do not want to speak to complete strangers. There's nothing to say. You're going to one floor, I'm going to another. And if we're going to the same floor, we still don't want to talk to you, because we don't know you. Back off! How many conversations have I had with complete strangers in elevators this week? Quite a lot. Yes, I'm going to the roof deck swimming pool. What else? Why do you think I'm wearing these clothes? That's where I'm going. Yes, I'm going to the lobby because I'm going out. Do I look like I'm going out? Yes, I am going out. Now, you guys are much nicer, joking about you, it's a much nicer culture. I've got a German friend who says, if he wants to feel better about himself, I'll come to England, but if he wants to feel really good about himself, I'll come to America. I totally understand. When I first came here, I used to cause consternation. I used to go to Charlotte in, in North Carolina, and I would cause consternation, because people would say, so, how are you? And I'd say, fine. And they look totally panicked, what, you're suicidal? No, I'm Fine. No, I'm just fine. What? You're about to kill yourself. So I learned that what you do is you go, I'm doing really well. And then it's normal. I love you guys. Great. It's great. Much, it's much better for us. Much better for us. Much more relational. Much more normal. But we're none of those things. We're emotionally frozen. Anyway, and physically frozen. Um, so what's this? June gloom? June gloom, right? That's what you're suffering. You poor darlings. Honestly. I haven't seen sunshine for three years. <laughs> so anyway, the English know that they are in the elevator, you don't talk to anyone. But what God is like, somebody comes in and is just literally staring at you. And wanting to talk. That's what he's like. God comes nearer and nearer and nearer. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes so near that he actually lives within He can actually live inside. So this is better than having Jesus in front of you. This is the person of Jesus living inside you by his Spirit. So this is the culmination of the great story of God, whose passionate heart is to come as close as possible. And in the context of this story, he reconciles the other part of his nature, the sense in which he's not like us, his holiness versus our brokenness. He reconciles it at the cross, doesn't he? From the high heart of heaven comes the burning lover's son, throwing wide his arms in welcome to us living disappearing ones. God in Christ does everything necessary to draw us close, despite everything that's true of us. You know, my heart always goes out to people who are in church, but do not feel they should be in church. They are here, but they do not feel that God sees them, knows them, or wants them to be here. If God does love them, it's because it's his job. He doesn't like them. And, you know, psychically, you need to try on some different t shirts. One would be God is nice and he likes me. God is nice and he likes me. Try putting that on. God is nice and he likes me. Here's another one. This is a more advanced t shirt for more advanced t shirt wearers. Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. Could you put that on? If you can't put those t-shirts on, I'm talking to you. And there are a lot of people in church who feel that God couldn't possibly accept them. But you see, the way we know that he has is because he's shown love to such an extent that he gave his son for us. He's given that which is most precious so that we might be drawn near, even though we are utter screw-ups. We are total screw-ups. We have sinned. We are sinning. We will sin. We cover the tenses with our sin. We're brilliant at it. It's our special subject. But God's special subject is loving the weak, broken, foolish things of the world. As I often say, it is not a compliment to be called a Christian. We have been specially chosen to shame the wise and the strong and the powerful and the people who have got it together. That we are not a mistake. It's not a mistake that we are as we are. Because basically, we're here as God's sick joke on the rest of the world that doesn't want Him. I know. so that's the first thing about Pentecost the second thing is that Pentecost is about something we're deeply drawn to as human beings and that is the possibility of ecstatic intimacy I would say that the quest for genuine intimacy in our relationships and the pain that comes when that quest is frustrated or disappointed is a large part of our story as human beings. Whenever I consider this passage, I notice that the experience of the disciples is quite overwhelming. It's totally overwhelming. The presence of the Spirit affects all their senses, intoxicating them. It's like they feel a wind. It's like they see tongues of fire. It's like they're filled with something. Luke's language is of a tropical rainstorm. It's like they're rained on by the Spirit. It's a very multi-sensory thing. It's as if they're ravished, ravished. The angelic realm scoops up the fallen earth and gives it a deep kiss. That's what's happening on the day of Pentecost. The disciples are understandably left staggering and gibbering speaking in tongues. Of course they are. They're given a new means of intimate communication with God the God who's come so near. And of course it has to be the language of angels. The disciples are transformed in that moment from mere believers into ecstatic believing lovers. And so the second thing to know about Pentecost is that it holds open the possibility that we can enjoy, delight in, be satisfied by the love of God. I bet there's a massive proportion of people here who if everybody had their eyes closed, if I said, is the uppermost thing in your mind Wanting to be loved more, really. Needing to be loved more than you are. I think a lot of people will put their hands up, including men. I don't believe that the experience of God's love, the experience of intimacy with God, takes away the need for human interaction. God has made us to have human relationships, and we need um, to uh, see each other, see ourselves revealed in loving relationships with other people. But I do think that the experience of intimacy with God helps us in so many ways in our relationships. So, for example. If you honestly believe what God believes about you, if you believe that God delights in you and rejoices over you with singing, it's a verse in Zephaniah 3.17, it's not in the Quran, Chris, once again. Uh, Zephaniah in the Old Testament. Um, oh, I, I must tell this one joke. You know when I was talking about um, um, you know, creating something and it doesn't re- express all of who you are? Well, Chris re- once wrote a children's song um, which doesn't express all of who he is, which is, God can love you even if you've got oversized hands. And uh, that reflects something about him. But Chris's huge, overwhelmingly large hands are not the only thing about him. Don't focus on the hands. It'll make you slightly nauseated. Um, It's just my experience. Anyway, so moving on. Um, The thing is... The thing is that if you believe what God believes about you, and psychologists would say that you tend to believe what you think the most important person in your life thinks you are. So, so, generally speaking, people's self-image is what the most important person in their life thinks they are. So, if the most important person in your life is actually God, as opposed to theoretically God, then you believe about yourself, what God says about you. And, therefore, the power of this is, is huge. And then when you have relationships with other people, a lot of your need for affirmation is actually already met. So we're not then desperately looking for affirmation or approval. Treating, treating God and other people as though they are the father that didn't really affirm us or approve us or somehow set a standard we couldn't attain, whose, whose love we never really seemed to receive or only if we did really, really well, um, or you know, the parent that was never there for us anyway, that kind of thing. that's basically, um, and it creates distortions in human relationships, so we need this affirmation, this connection with people, but because of our brokenness and our lack of experience in this area, we're constantly repulsing the very people we need affirmation from. It's a very painful process. But you see, if you know that God loves you, and that's really established in your heart, you can have much straighter relationships with other people, whose affirmation you still need, but not in the same way. So this sense of being loved by God is really crucial. And it's the personal experience of Jesus that inspires people. That empowers people, that drives them forward. Dutifully serving God is no substitute for his love. And in every church meeting that ever happens, there are always people who are incredibly dutiful. There are always people who think to themselves... Here I am, slaving for you, doing what's right. You know what God, there are things I could have done, let me tell you. are Things I've abstained from doing, I could have done them, but I haven't done them. And there's you, liking that prodigal son, that waster, that person who spent all your money, that person who doesn't deserve your love. Look at them, why are they leading worship? Why are they in the church? Look at their dress, look at their navel piercings. Look at them, they're disgusting. I've always been a good boy, most of the time, and a good girl, whatever. Dutifully serving God is no substitute for experiencing his love. Working for God as if if we were employees misses the point. Consider these questions. Has the love of God, love for God, and God's love for you, has it ever been shed abroad in your heart? Has it ever? One time? If it has, has it been a very long, dry, exhausting time since that last happened? If the answer's the second one, that's pretty normal. It is pretty normal. You see, what we're supposed to be is we're supposed to be like cars that come to places like this in order to be full of gas and then we're supposed to drive out, exhaust ourselves, run out of gas, come back in, get refuelled, go out again. That's what church is. It's a big petrol station. That's what it's supposed to be, except unfortunately a lot of church isn't. But if it was doing its job, it would fill you up all the time, and then you, like a car, would run out, come back, get some more, go and do it again. And unfortunately, church often isn't like that. This church is like that, but a lot of churches are not. That can mean that people who wander in here, you know, never expecting to be shouted at by an English person, um, basically... Can feel very dry and tired, and they can feel like I've just, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't experience this love. I'm here because I do church. I do church. At, what service is this? Is this the 11? Is this 11:15? What, what? Yeah, I'm here because I'm always here. This is what I do. I'm a Christian tick. And then when the, you know, the June gloom's worn off, I'm at the beach. So you do know the answer as to whether the love of God is really flowing through you at the moment, the experience of the love of God. Finally, Pentecost talks to us about inspired communication. As I mentioned earlier, speaking in tongues is a language inspired by the Spirit to help us communicate with God. It's incoherent because it has to transcend the limitations of the language barrier. When you are very, very happy, or indeed, very, very any strong emotion... You don't want to break off from what you're experiencing to think about precise word choice and syntax. I have hit my, my thumb with a hammer. How shall, I most, how shall I most effectively articulate this experience I'm having? It's not what we do, is we go, Oh I am in love. Let me think about the exact words and punctuation that will best articulate to you, my darling, what I'm feeling right now. I mean, lovers have their own language, don't they? It's like babies. Babies don't do okay, in, you know, normal speech, do they? But they're still communicating. When you're very, very happy, you know, so you, if something really works out. Right? It's an, it's an expression, but it's just not hate words, formed words. So, in life, we do need to be able to express sighs and groans, as Paul says, too deep for words. Speaking in tongues helps you do that. There isn't anybody here whose life wouldn't be better for speaking in tongues. Do you need to speak in tongues to be a Christian? Of course you don't. What a load of rubbish. But, can everybody speak in tongues? Of course you can. Of course, everybody can speak in tongues. Have you got a tongue? Do you you sometimes need to groan and sigh? Do you sometimes find when you pray that actually you don't have adequate words because you're so caught up with the horror of what's going on or the pain or the joy that it would be just better if you had something that wasn't limited to precise expression because thank you, Lord, for what you're doing doesn't seem to quite cut it. Now, that's what speaking in tongues is for. The Holy Spirit inspiring you to connect with the deepest sense of expression that you have. Now, it's not more important than praying with your mind. Paul says, I'll pray with my mind and my spirit. But it is important, as demonstrated here, because it's what happens when the Spirit of God really gets hold of somebody. It's an indication that their soul has been impacted by love because they've been reduced to their essence at that point. They've been reduced to the essence of a, a person who knows they're made in the image of God, who is delighted that they are in the presence of God and and does not want to be held back by needing to formulate exactly the, the, the level of their experience or the quality of it. Do you see what I'm saying? That's why it's important. So tongues is part of our communication with God. It's not all of it. God wants to communicate to us as a friend would face to face. He wants us to know him. He wants us to know what he's like. He wants us to enjoy communicating with him. So Chris and I have done a few of these things, and I know what his physical mannerisms mean. And he probably knows what mine mean. I don't necessarily need to ask him whether I've just annoyed him or pleased him. I know, because I can see it by the way his shoulders hunch, or by the way he's smiling, or slightly drooling, or whatever it is, you know, in in an inappropriate way. Um, Basically, but I know him, because I know him. God wants us to know him. With the Spirit on board, Peter is able to make sense of the author's book. So Peter's able to explain what's happening. This is Peter! Peter couldn't explain his way out of a fishing net. This this guy is a severely... I don't know, what is he? Well, you wouldn't choose him for your academic arena. But somehow, he's able to suddenly make sense of the Old Testament. Oh, you know what this is? They're not drunk. I know you think they're drunk because they're staggering around like drunk people. By the way, that's why they thought they were drunk. They didn't think they were drunk because they were speaking other languages. They thought they were drunk because they looked like drunk people, even though it was nine in the morning. Let's just be clear about that. If I start speaking to you in Russian, you're not going to think, oh, he's drunk. There's a drunk. You're going to think, if I start going, then you think I might be drunk, right? So, basically... Um, Uh, uh, you see it is tiredness yet Peter, Peter the doofus is able to explain the book when he's got the spirit working in him he's able to say this is the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy in the Old Testament, remember him, you read the book so basically let me explain to you this is what Joel saw, that one day the spirit would be poured out on all flesh in other words that God would come so close that he would put his very power upon the unclean He put his power and his life within the unclean. How dare he do that? He does what he wants. I was once with an evangelical pastor... He was explaining to me that God had never spoken to him. And I said, so are you saying you've never been in church and somebody's been preaching from the Bible and you've never felt, wow, they're just speaking directly to me? He said, oh yeah, no, I've experienced that. And I, and I said to him, so have you ever been in the nature, out in nature and been overwhelmed by the beauty of the creation? He said, yeah, no, I've experienced that. I said, so have you ever, um, you know, just been looking for an answer to a question? You've been talking to somebody and you just know that's the perfect answer. They have a wisdom I've been looking for. He said, yeah, no, I've experienced that. So I said to him, so, you know, just going for, going for all the points. Um, have you ever had an experience where you knew something about someone you couldn't possibly have known he said well there was this one time I was having coffee with someone in my congregation and we're just talking about this that and the other and I suddenly know that he's a male prostitute oh like that then so God has spoken to you then right? oh good (laughs) so basically God is speaking through such things as nature, scripture, preaching visions, dreams, impressions, repeated phrases coming into our minds a deep sense of knowing, good advice God speaks to all his children and we're all faced with learning how to respond to what he's saying. You see, the Christian life is meant to be initiated by the Holy Spirit, and we are meant to follow the initiation of the Spirit. Christianity, Christianity is not something you do for God. It's not something you direct at God or at other people. It's something you do in the Holy Spirit, in the power and the person of the Spirit. So you have to know his flipping voice. You need to know his voice, and it's not just about, you know, whether we're in church and what God's going to say through the sermon. We've got to know it for ourselves all the time, and it's a matter of life and death. It can be a matter of of something that will literally change people's lives. Throughout this weekend, we have prayed for people, we have known things about people we couldn't possibly know. In the last... last, meeting, Um, I felt God say to me, there are several people here who who, who feel that God has called them to pioneer a new way of educating people. And so I said that. I said, would you like to stand up? I don't know how many people stood up. Seven people and people prayed for them. Now, let me say to you, these things are so encouraging to people that it changes their life. It helps them to believe what they believe. And that is the power of prophecy. It simply confirms something that you already know to be true. That's the most important form of prophecy. It's not suggesting something new. It's confirming something that God is already saying to you, and you know he is. That's the power of it, but we need that encouragement. We need God to encourage us to believe what we already kind of suspect or hope might be true on our better days. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit personally, and we need to be the kind of people that can speak on behalf of God to other people. I have to say to you, this is normal for me. It is normal to know God's voice. It is. It's because it's the way I was taught from the time I became a Christian. It's just, the paradigm I was given was, God speaks to you. He speaks to you through the Bible. The Bible is my favourite book. I read the Bible all the time. I love the Bible. When I first became a Christian, I was like a pregnant woman with a food fad. Just give me the Bible. I love the Bible all the time. And so basically, and I still love the Bible, uh, you know, it's my favourite book, but God speaks outside the Bible too, and it's a good job he does. And if I just think about recent things I have known. So I'm just thinking about the last week, say So last Sunday, I was praying for a guy whose opening line was, I worship an Amazonian um, deity. And I'm going, okay, that's interesting. Never been in church before, no. Um, so I'm praying for him. And God says to me, he's had a near-death experience. Ask him about that. So basically, he, I say, have you had a near-death experience? And he said, well, I had a dream in which I went to hell, in which I saw all the people that be there with me. Is that what you mean? I said, yeah, that's what I mean. Um, and, um, and then basically, uh, that, that enabled me to pray for him, him to come to the life course, the course we run for the benefit of non-Christians, and for him to be now on the path to discovering Jesus right? So no discussion of Amazonian deities was necessary. Then in the morning, there's a, there's a French girl who comes in. You can tell she doesn't normally come because she's running into church because she doesn't want to be late. Nobody does that in my church, just like they don't do it here. And so basically, um, she, comes, she comes in, she comes up for prayer at the front, and as I'm looking at her, I feel God says to me, just tell her that she is entirely acceptable to God as she is, physically, emotionally, in every way. God loves you exactly as you are. I said it to her. She's never been prayerful before. She immediately starts laughing and laughing and laughing, because it's the biggest thing on our mind. And now the thing is, how do I know when it's God? I do not know. I don't know. I'm just used to saying it anyway. I don't care. So basically, here's the thing. Once you've had this kind of word from God, there's somebody here going on a cycling holiday to France who's got genital problems, which is a word of knowledge I had. Once you've given that, and somebody's come up to you and said, that's me, you lose all sense of shame. You just don't care. You don't care. Am I always right? Nope. No, but I have been right often enough to to definitely do it when I feel that God is speaking to me. That is the inheritance of every single one of you flipping people. Every one of you. Every one of you. It is. Every one of you. That God has no special people. I am a loser. God is using even me. He's using even me. If he's going to use me, a donkey, he will use you. It's just that I was given this paradigm. And I'm very grateful to the people who gave it to me. God's voice, the hearing of God's voice, the knowing of God's voice for you and for other people is crucial. It's crucial. Now, if you think you might have somebody, something from God for somebody, what do you do with it? Just think of yourself as being like a postman, right? You are a postman, Pat, and you just turn up at their door and you give them the letter. You'll be glad to know that postmen, in my country at least, do not stand there and wait for you to open it. They just give you the letter and they've done their thing and they're off. They're going to go somewhere else. So think about yourself as a postman. Your job is just to give what you've got, and then you go away. Just give it in a nice way. You just want to say, look, I wonder whether this might be right. Do you think this could be right? I was wondering if God might be saying, rather than, Thus saith the Lord! God is telling you, you waster! It's not like that. Don't do that. You've got nothing to prove. Just give them what you think. And if it turns out to be right, that's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing for you. I'll tell you what, the person who benefits most if something is right is you. Because if you get one, you can get another one. Right? I was talking in the, in the first service about a time when I was leading um, something for a lot of people. And um, basically, because this is the power of communication from God. Um, so there's about 2,000 people and people are prophesying very big things about our nation. And um, I, that I might always check out when that's going on. It's not my gift at all. Um, and in the middle of it, I felt God say to me, um, would you mind saying um, there's somebody here who's trying to uh, work in the railway industry and God is saying, can you just stop it? And I thought to myself, no, I'm definitely not going to say that. So over here, we've got a queue of people saying, the Lord is going to come like a mighty river. He's going to flow, flow through this land. And, you know, then we're going to conquer Europe, as if that would ever happen. And basically, nobody's, nobody cares about Europe, not in my country. Anyway, so basically, um, so basically, uh, so, and I've got this little tiny little thing about the railway industry. But by then, I've been there for a week, so I don't care. I'm going home. So I just say it. Two years later... Two years later, this woman comes up to me and said, did you give a word of knowledge about the railway industry? I said, yes. And um, she said, because I I didn't remember immediately, but then she told me I did remember. And basically she said, well, that was me. I was working in the railway industry for 10 years. And basically I was made redundant and I spent all my time and effort trying to get back in the railway industry. And I could not. Nothing I did was working. I just could not get back in. And um, basically I said to God before this conference, you have to show me very, very clearly if you do not want me in the railway industry. So how, how, kind of that, how kind of God is that? Something so specific for one person amongst 2,000 people. It's so amazing, isn't it, that God can do that. And, and the thing is, her friends have been saying, you know, you really should be a teacher. And that was the worst thing she wanted to hear. Because basically at school she had a terrible time. And she didn't want to be a teacher. But she said, I stand before you now as a fully qualified teacher. And the great thing is, when the kids are there in the class that can't cope with school, I completely understand them. And so I've been able to help tons of kids. Isn't that God's redemption? Do you see that? But it's life and death. Do you get that? It's life and death. These things can be so important that they're life and death for people. So, this is our privilege and our inheritance. It's our inheritance to know the voice of our Father, like you know the voice of your wife, your husband, your children, etc., people you're close to. It's also our inheritance to be able to give the Word of God to other people, like Peter, to be able to explain what God is doing. This is God. This is the Holy Spirit. That's enough. So, basically, um, what, what we always do is offer to pray for people. And so, you know, how do you know if you should come forward for prayer in church? Well, basically, if if what the person has said has spoken to you, or you just need prayer, that's when you know you should come forward. So sometimes, you know, there'll be quite a specific thing like, let's say... Um, we're going to pray for people who've got a ministry of dance which will be about no one um, so basically no there'll be some of them i like dance sorry that's unfair let's think of something else um the, this is for people who are fully qualified teachers let's say so if you're a fully qualified a teacher now my advice is even if you're not a fully qualified teacher and the appeal is for like one legged pregnant women and you're not one of those i still come forward for prayer Now the thing is, I get paid the same amount of money no matter how many people come forward. I don't care. I don't count how many people come forward. I I do count the power I see happening when they come forward. But my suggestion is this. First of all, are you somebody that's never been part of the story? Have you not got with the programme? So, for example, have you never responded to what God in Christ has done for you? Have you never received the Holy Spirit, the person of Jesus within you? If so, this is an opportunity to come forward. Now, you don't have to. Nobody's going to make you at all. But if you want to, you can. That's one category of people. Then... The big category would be people who've never really known the love of God shed abroad in their heart or worried that they haven't, or it's been a long time. If that's you, you should come forward. There's no shame in in saying, do you know what, there might be a bit of a problem here. Or, you know what, you could put yourself in the third category, which is a good one, which is I'd like to hear more of the voice of God. You could pretend you're in the third category when you're actually in the second one. No one's going to tell. No one will ever know. Choose the one that makes your image feel okay and come down anyway, and then we'll just pray. So what happens is we've trained the people to pray in this church. People pray every Sunday. This is what they do every Sunday. And um, so they'll be here. And I will encourage you to stand there and open your hands like you're going to receive a gift. This is symbolic. It says, hello, God, I'm open to you as opposed to this, which says, I'm not open to you. I'd rather die. And, um, and close your eyes so you're not distracted, and then um, I add my, you pray for a bit, then I add my prayers to yours, and then people put a hand on you like they did in the Bible and pray for you, that's it. And all you can do is be as open as you can be, that's fine, and they pray for you. But church needs to include this bit. I have to say, I haven't known church without this bit. Why would we go to church and not pray for people? Or, you know, why would we, someone like me, speak about something and then not create an opportunity for people to respond to what they've heard? How weird. Anyway, I'm just saying, if you go to churches where that doesn't happen, how weird. You've got coffee, check. Singing, check. Speaking, check. Notices, double check. Chairs, check. Check no prayer. Weird. Just saying. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenld.org